The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. We go back to our series on how big is your God. And at this point in our story, in the account of Joseph's life, 20 years have passed as we begin chapter 42. Actually, a little more than 20 years. A little more than 20 years have passed since Joseph was a teenage shepherd boy in Canaan. A lot of water under the bridge at this point in this two decades of his life. He's in a new country. He has a new family. He's got a new job, new friends. Settled into a fairly comfortable living in Egypt. But let me just say this about our past. Okay, uh, it is hard to outlive your past. It is hard to outlive it. Now, Joseph, Joseph probably thought he put all the hurt and the heartache behind him. You know, um, he had gone a long way since the pit over there where his brothers had thrown him in Dothan. But, but in some ways, I think our common experience as humans is that it's hard. It's hard to outgrow the pit. It's hard to, live out, to, to outlive all of the troubles of, of childhood. You know, I read about people who are in their 50s and 60s and are still afflicted uh, emotionally by the bully in elementary school or the bully in high school. They can't, can't seem to out, outlive that or overcome it. Many times you have a major trauma in your past, okay? Something that has occurred and, um, and, and something happens to sort of bring it all back. That bully in elementary, that bully in high school, that parent that left, that friend that betrayed you, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to outlive that. Like I said, Joseph may have thought he put it behind him. And we might be thinking that Joseph's greatest tests were in his past. The, the pit, the prison, Potiphar's wife, all those things that were uh, terrible trials that he went through. But I'll tell you, I believe that Joseph's greatest tests, his greatest uh, problems that, are, that, that he's faced are coming up in this chapter. His greatest test is before him. Because you see, Genesis chapter 42 shows that the tables have turned. Now Joseph is in power. His brothers, we'll see, are defenseless. And the question now becomes, as we've been asking, how big is your God? Now the question becomes is, how big is Joseph? How big is Joseph? How big are you? Let's ask it that way. How big are we? Okay? Well, the answer hinges on how big Joseph's God is. How big is Joseph? Well, how big is his God? Is he big enough to follow even when faced with your past and the tables are turned and the opportunity for revenge is presenting itself? How big is your God? Is he big enough to trust? How big are you? You see, and that depends on how big your God is. So let's look here at Joseph's greatest test. Beginning in chapter 42, look at verse 1. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, 
Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look upon one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. Now, I got to say this right here. We notice that Jacob has not changed a whole lot. I mean, he might not have learned very many lessons, it doesn't seem. He's still playing favorites, okay? He said, I'll send you 10 down there, but I can't leave my favorite. I can't send him away. (laughs) That's what got him into trouble, Joseph into trouble in the first place, was Joseph showing favoritism. So here's the scenario. Here's the setup, okay? Um, You know, in, in chapter 41, we saw where Joseph rose from the prison to the palace, and now he's second in command in Egypt. And, and now he's predicted this, this famine that has now hit. And, and in a year or two, we're a year or two into that famine. We are, uh, uh, we've gone through the seven years of plenty, and Joseph did what he said he would do. He, he amassed a, a, a surplus of grain and corn and all kinds of things like that to, to prepare for that seven years of famine, okay? And, and now we're a year or two into that famine, and it was a great famine. It was a great problem throughout the land, even in Canaan. And so now, Joseph, remember, when he stood before Pharaoh, he was 30. When he left Canaan, he was 17. So seven years have passed since he was elevated to the prime ministership, if you will. And now a year or two past that. So Joseph is somewhere between 38 and 40 years old, 38 and 39 years old. And Jacob says, we got, a, we got, we got problems, okay? And notice in verse 5, the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but but they knew not him. Like I said, I, I don't believe the pit or the prison or the problem of the baker forgetting him or the, the butler forgetting him was the greatest test he faced. I believe the greatest test Joseph faced was right here and now. Because notice what's happened. He's received his brothers here, but now he's second in command in Egypt. He's friends with the Pharaoh. You talk about friends in high places. Pharaoh was the most powerful ruler on the earth at this time. If ever there was a man who could do whatever he wanted, it was Joseph. Joseph was that man. <laughs> now also put yourself, remember, we're not talking about Joseph so much from the standpoint of what a type of Christ he is, although he is a type of Christ in many ways. I want you to think of him as a normal, everyday kind of guy who's had the same kind of problems that we're going to face and have faced in our lives. He's a 17-year-old that has ascended in 13 years to the kingship, basically, to the second in command. And, and, and he's no doubt, just like I would do, he's put all this stuff behind him. He's not thinking he'll ever see his brothers again. He's not thinking he'll probably ever see his father again. 
All the hurts and the, and the insults and the problems that his brothers caused him, they're still present in his life, but hey, he doesn't have to see them. Isn't that the way we like to deal with people that, that, that have caused us problems? Don't we like to just you know, ignore them? Don't we like to not see them anymore? It, it, that's, that's the way I feel. I don't like to see people who don't like me. You know, I just assume they stay away. And if I can stay away from them, I'm going to. Because I just don't have a desire to be with them. But people that don't like me, I don't like to be around them. And, and, and people that have hurt me, I don't want to see them. Just get away, stay away. But you, you know, let me just say how, how funny things are in life. I want to say how funny God is. I put it that way, if you understand what I'm saying. You ever noticed how you can't avoid those people? <laughs> as sure as there's somebody out there that I know is mad at me, that's the first person I see when I go to the mall. You know, that's that's the person who's sitting just a few seats down from me at the ball game. <clears throat> now, when those time those things happen to me, usually it's just a normal, everyday. Event. You know, it's just, it's just a day like any other day, okay? Well, well that's what it was for Joseph. Get, get this if you don't get anything else from this message. That Joseph is not some super Christian who is uh, like, uh, like a superhero. He's just a man like you and I. He's got the same problems emotionally, psychologically, that you and I have. So he's there doing his job. Normal day. He's been doing it for about eight or nine years now. No doubt he's settled into a routine. People come from Egypt. Then they start coming from other lands. And he's just routine, going through the motions again. And then, boom, out of the blue, he gets hit upside the head by that someone or something from his past that just shows up unexpectedly. Doesn't, isn't that the way it happens with us? You think that might be the way it happened here? <laughs> It all came flooding back, you reckon? I believe that verse 6 is that moment for Joseph. It says, Joseph's brethren came. He received them. He saw them. And he recognized them. Verse 7, he knew them. Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them. You bet he knew them. You bet he did. It's hard to forget the men who kidnapped you. It's hard to forget the men who threw you in a pit. It's hard to forget the men who sold you into slavery, who said harsh things to you as they did it, who ignored your cries. You bet he recognized them. And he remembered. You think he remembered every slap, every blow, every curse, every laugh? Which one grabbed him first? You know, he's sitting there looking and said, yeah, Simeon, he's the one that grabbed me first. And then Reuben, he was kind of spoke up, but he was a... He, he was just wishy-washy. He did, you know, and you think he, he was running, those things be, became real to him again, came flooding back in those moments. And here he is, ruler over all of Egypt, probably feeling like a little 17-year-old boy again. Just, and I'm, I'm imposing my experience on him, okay? But I think his experience is our common experience. I don't know what it is in your life. I can tell you, I'm not going to, but I can tell you the things in my life that make me feel that way. But I know everybody has that kind of experience. Something 
happens and all the past hurts and all the past problems and all the past disrespect and, and pain and all those kinds of things come flooding back. And here you are, a grown man or a grown woman, and you feel like a little boy or a little girl again. Now, here, in my situation, I couldn't do anything about it. But here, Joseph is in a position where he can right those wrongs. Oh boy, get ready. Because <laughs> he's in Egypt. Egypt is not Israel. Egypt is not a kind, uh, loving environment. Egypt is a place where execution was common. Egypt is a place where uh, the laws weren't gentle. Mercy wasn't common. And he is second in command. What did all he did? Think about it. Here they come in. He says, guys, y'all wait here just a minute. I got something to take care of. He slips out back. He, he calls Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, the men that, that sold me into slavery are here. I want you to come in and and lock them up and torture them and beat them and maybe even execute one or two of them. And for heaven's sake, don't give them any grain. You know, that's, that's my temptation now. I mean, when I, you know, I, I've often, you know, been in a position where someone has done something to me and I think, you know, I can't help it. It just comes to my mind. You wait one day. Yeah, one day. <laughs> Isn't that the way we feel? Isn't that the way we are? Just one day. The tables will be turned and I'll be able to get back at you. But see, Joseph not only remembered all those pains and hurts and problems that his brothers caused him, but, but I want you to notice in verse 9 what else he remembered. It says, verse 8, Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. He had them at a disadvantage. He had, his, he had a heavy hand over them. He could have struck and it would have been okay as far as the law went in that day. But notice also, verse 9, And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them. Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. You see, he not only remembered the problems that they had caused him, but he also remembered that God had had his hand upon him from way back. He remembered not only the trouble that he could see looking around horizontally at them, but he also had his vision vertical. He could look up and he could say, you know, this is that moment because this is that moment, right? I mean, look with, look with me back to Genesis chapter 37. It says in verse 5, Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brethren. And he said, verse 6, he said, Here I pray you this dream I've dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and your sheaf stood around about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And then over in verse um, 9, he dreamed another dream. In, verse, in the middle of the verse, it says, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. In other words, they bowed down to me. Notice what happened. His brethren came to him in verse 6 and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. This is that moment, right? 
This is that fulfillment of that dream. This is Joseph's gotcha moment. I <laughs> say, yeah, God told me this was coming and now my time has come and now I can come in here and do what I want to with you. No way. Not for Joseph. See, Joseph understood that the gifts and blessings of God are not for his own personal use and benefit. That when God blessed him, when God gave him this dream and told him about what was going to happen, that it wasn't simply so that he could, uh, he could expend it upon his own lusts. Isn't that what Peter tells us? said, you ask and you have not because you ask amiss. You pray, God, bless me here so I can get back at my enemies. God's not going to bless you with that. God wasn't giving him this, um, this dream, this prophecy, in order for him to say, okay, now I've made it. This is all about me. No, Joseph. He knew that it was all about God. See, there's something more here than just his own petty personal desire for revenge. He knew there was something more to this story than just revenge. Now let's 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 sort of switch our our view here. Let's do like in a movie. You know, the movie you see it from one person's perspective for a while, and then then they'll you know the lights will go down on that, and they'll open it up on someone else's perspective. Let's look at this from the brother's experience. Let's look at it from from the brother's experience. First of all. You know, they were blind. They didn't see him. They didn't know him. Verse 7 said, he made himself strange unto them. Now, I, I want to say this. Some have postulated that Joseph was being harsh because of their previous treatment of him. I, I don't believe, I believe there were some underlying motives here. I believe, I believe that Joseph probably struggled with that, as all of us do. But I think overall, the reason he didn't just jump up and say, brothers, here I am. I love you. Come on in is that he was following God's lead. He was still seeking God's purpose in his life. He was still asking God to lead him. And, and, and he knew that the power and prestige that he had was given for more than just seeking revenge. I mean, let me, let me just remind you, and this is a New Testament verse, Romans 12, verse 19, but, but let me tell you, it's an Old Testament universal principle. He said in, Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in, do, in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Joseph, don't react to them the way they treated you. Don't treat them the way they treated you. Don't react in the flesh. Act in the spirit. And so I believe the reason that he, that he blinded them, he made himself strange to them, was, was really to, uh, was following the Lord's leading and, and really going to lay out a test for them, if you will. Because let me tell you what happened next. <laughs> they, were, they were blindsided. Let me tell you, they were blindsided. Notice in verse 9, as soon as he remembered the dreams, he remembered the dreams he dreamed about them. And then he said this, ye are spies to seek the nakedness of the land, are ye come. 
And, you know, can you imagine them, you know, humbly going down there, you know, the hat in the hand, coming up there to the, probably in a long line of people from different countries seeking grain, seeking, you know, seeking what they needed from, from this man who appeared to be very generous and getting up there saying, yes, we're, we're here, we need some grain. And he says, ha, y'all are spies. Man, you talk about uh, a moment where the eyes get wide and the sweat starts pouring, you know. He's standing in front of the second in command of the greatest nation on the earth at this time. And he's saying, he's, being, he's accusing them of being spies. But, but there's a reason for this. Notice that, that what happens next, I'm not going to read all this because we don't have time. But let me just say, you need to read this uh, yourself and, and understand what, he's, what happens here. Uh, but what happens next is that, that he begins to question them. And, and frankly, one of the effects of Joseph's harshness, I believe, was it elicited the truth from them. Uh, Brother Bob knows what I'm talking about. Uh, in law enforcement, one of the best tactics that you can ever take in going to interview somebody who you suspect of a crime is to surprise them. It's just to show up and, and, and pull them aside with no prior warning. You don't give them any, any chance to think or anything like that. You just say, hey, I want to talk to you about robbing that bank. Oh, I didn't rob that. I was here. I was there. And they start lying. A lot of them do. You know? But th these guys were actually innocent. They weren't spies. And immediately they start saying, hey, but we just come down here to buy food. We're one man's sons. You know, I can just see them babbling. I, I, I think I was, you know, we're, we're, we got... Ten brothers, the youngest is there. There's ten of us, and, and, and our father's back home, and Joseph just keeps on. Verse 14, he says, I'm telling you, y'all are spies. Now, he said, literally, that is it that I spake unto you, saying, ye are spies. <clears throat> he elicited from them that they had a younger brother, Benjamin, that was still back in Canaan. And notice what he, what he did. He Joseph said in verse 15, Hereby shall you be proved. I'm going to give you a test. By the life of Pharaoh, ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put all of them, or he put them all together into ward or into prison three days. He came up with a good test. He said, we're going to get you brother over here and then we'll know whether or not you're telling me the truth. <clears throat> and, and this was a pretty devastating way out for them. Because you remember in verse 4, but Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. In other words, I'm okay if something happens to y'all. But not, not Benjamin. Not Benjamin. I've already lost Joseph. And, and Joseph and Benjamin were the, the sons of his favorite wife, his, the one he really wanted to marry in the first place, Rachel, who had passed on. Verse 18, Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me, and so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die and they did so. <clears throat> and you know the rest of that story there is that they kept, um, they kept Simeon bound in the prison and the nine brothers went back over to Canaan. That was a pretty devastating way out for them because they knew that 
their father was going to be very upset and might not consent to let Benjamin come back because he loved him better than them. And they knew that. But I also want you to notice something here that perhaps was part of the reason God led. I believe it was the reason God led Joseph to be harsh to them. And, and maybe Joseph understood this as well. Notice that these brothers began to be convicted over what they had done. Look at verse 21. They said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And he goes on and Reuben tells him, I told you so, basically. And you'll notice as well as you continue reading that Joseph understood what they were saying, but they didn't know that Joseph understood because he hadn't spoken to them in their native language yet. Apparently, over the past 20 plus years, these brothers had learned to live with their sin. They'd learned to live with what they had done. Now, there's a lot of things that we do in our youth that we look back on and think about how stupid it was. You know? Aren't there things in your life, I know there are in my life, that I look back on when I was a teenager, early 20s, mid-20s, even in my 30s, that I think I would never do that today. But look at what I did. And, be, and, and I'm convicted over that. But, you know, sometimes we... we we learn to live with those things and apparently they had done that. But you know, Numbers 32 and verse 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> if you're a child of God, the chickens always come home to roost. Okay? And the, the point is this. It's not that you have to go around with a long face weeping every day over your past sins. It's just that you've got to deal with it or else you're going to have problems in life. Now, sometimes that's in a public way, and I understand that. By the grace of God, often it's in a private way, just between you and God. But here's the thing. They had been carrying this guilt for 20 plus years. And you'll notice that when the time came that they began to suffer these things, they kind of started putting it all together. They said, we're guilty concerning our brother. Now, notice they didn't... They, they didn't remember that they hated their brother. They didn't remember about plotting against him. They didn't remember, oh, we betrayed him, we hated him. We did. They remembered his screams and his cries of anguish from the pit. No doubt this was engraved upon their minds because these were children of God. These are not reprobates with a seared conscience. These were children of God that, that were dealing with this from their past but had learned a way to live with it but you know every day they must have seen the long face of their father don't you know it came back to them they were convicted and they began to be repentant they began to be repentant you know remembering and being convicted of sin is a painful experience Brother Buddy's put it this way before. He talked about crucifixion and we were to crucify the flesh. It is a long, painful death. 
Crucifixion was the longest and the most painful death, the most torturous death there was. But remember that, that this painful experience of bringing to mind what he, they had done in the past was absolutely necessary to their repentance. You know, there can't be a repentance without acknowledgement of the truth. I've, I've told people that in the past. You've got to acknowledge the truth before there can be true repentance. You know, it's not getting caught <laughs> that you're sorry for. It's what you did that you're sorry for. Uh, you know, if I've done anything wrong, Lord, forgive me for it. That's not the prayer of repentance. That's the prayer of denial. Okay? That's the prayer of denial. The prayer of repentance is we are verily guilty. That's what he says here. We did this. We did this. We remember this. See, God doesn't, in our repentance, which is, understand me, I know you do, but in case there are those that don't, I'm not talking about repentance that gets you into heaven. Because quite frankly, repentance doesn't get you into heaven. You can't repent enough to get to heaven. Repentance is a result of the fact that you're going to heaven. <laughs> that you've been born again and you now are pricked in the heart by the things of sin that you have done and that you have been a part of. But God desires repentance. He desires, he tells us in, in Psalm 51, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Not some thin veneer of I'm sorry I got caught. But truth, acknowledgement, I did this. And, and as you keep reading here, you know the story that Joseph in verse 25, verse 24, Joseph wept. Joseph had a heart of compassion. And, um, and that's when they took Simeon and bound him. And then Joseph filled their sacks with corn. And then he put all the money they had brought to buy the corn with, he put it back in their bags. And sent it along with them. And, um, and, and as, they, as they went along, headed home, one of them opened the sack to give his donkey some feed and found the money in the sack and, and got afraid. He was afraid. Oh my, what's happened? And he said in verse 28 to his brethren, my money is restored and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them and they were afraid saying one to another, what is this that God hath done unto us? I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but that is the first mention of God by the brothers in this whole account of what happened to Joseph. That's the first time God has passed their lips that we read about since Joseph was thrown in the pit. That... Is that not the way the Holy Spirit works? Is that not the way the Lord deals with us in chastening? You know, I've, had, I've told you before, I've had people that would say to me, Preacher, why is this, what is God doing this to me for? What have I done that the Lord is punishing me for based on, you know, for some issue that they're facing or problem they're having? And the answer is, if you don't know, it's probably not God doing it to you. It's probably just the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. Why did I get cancer? What, is, what have I done that God gave me cancer? 99 times out of 100 or even more than that, you got cancer because your genes are afflicted by sin. And, and, and you're going to die of something one day. 
whether it's cancer or Parkinson's or, or a car wreck or whatever it may be. And here's my point. If you can't figure out what it is that God's punishing you for, then God's probably not punishing you for something. Because God's a better father than I am. I've tried to be a good father, and I have never that I know of uh, spanked my children where I didn't tell them why. I explained to them, you're getting disciplined because of this that you did. And I'll say this to you. I've been chastened by God. And I can't think of a time when I've been chastened by God that I didn't know exactly why I was being chastened by God. God has a way of showing us what He's doing. And is that not the way it works? The Holy Spirit in times like this says, hey, tap you on the shoulder. Hey, hey man. Remember what you did to your brother? This is connected to that. This has got something to do with that. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. I believe that's what we see here in these brothers. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have remorse and regrets over their life but up to this point. But I'm telling you, this is the point where the chickens come home to roost. And they said, what is this that God hath done to us? Now, I'm not saying God did that on God didn't put the money in the sack. Joseph did. (laughs) But I'll tell you what they're learning. They're learning that God is not mocked. That whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 29, they came unto Jacob their father, unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men, we're no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And he goes on to tell him the rest of the story. And then in verse 35, uh, in verse 34, he says that they told us to bring our youngest brother to him. and, And then we can prove that we're not spies. In verse 35, when they emptied their sacks, every man's money was in his sack. Now, I want you to notice what Jacob says in verse 36. Poor old Jacob. One of the most faithless founding fathers I know. (laughs) Poor old Jacob. A deceiver, a conniver. Found faith through the blessing of God. Born of his spirit. But notice what he says. Me, have ye bereaved of my children? Joseph is not and Simeon is not. And ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. I don't know what all he was thinking, but I know he's saying, poor pitiful me. (laughs) Poor pitiful me. You're going to find that Jacob is a man of fear for the most part throughout his life, whereas Joseph is a man of faith. They finish up this chapter with Reuben offering to leave his sons as a surety with Jacob in order to go back down there and get some more corn when the time comes. Their father was devastated. In chapter 43, in verses 1 through 14, Jacob does finally agree to send Benjamin back, resigned to his death. And I want you to notice in verse 8 something that is going to be something we'll cover hopefully in the next message, but something you need to notice now. Judah, oh Judah. We need to take a side trip with Judah. In chapter 38, uh, 39 rather, of Genesis, you read about Judah. 
doing some pretty bad stuff. A man of the world, okay? Judah also was the one who came up with the idea of selling him into slavery. Judah was all on board about Joseph. But notice what Judah says here. Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. Judah's kind of beginning to get it, okay? And you're going to see some more from Judah in the chapters to come. But notice that they go back down there, and strangely, they go back, instead of to bondage, they go back to a banquet. They go back in verses 15 through 34, uh, the, the end of the chapter there, and Joseph has set a banquet for these brothers that have come back. And, and Joseph himself is overwhelmed with emotion. And I want you to note something as, as we look at this briefly here, that, that they are seated uh, in, in uh, verse uh, 33, says they're seated in birth order. It says, they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled at one another. Why did they marvel? Because they're thinking, how does he know which one of us is the oldest? How does he know all this about us? They set us down in the order that we were born. And, and here I am, we are at this banquet. We thought we were coming back to bondage. He thinks we're spies. And we're just hoping that he'll not keep our brother. Now I want you to notice something else. <laughs> It says in verse 34, he took and sent messes or helpings unto them from before him, gifts. But Benjamin's mess was five times as much as any of theirs. Now, wait a minute here. Wasn't that the problem to start with? Wasn't envy the issue that got them here in the first place? Joseph had a coat of many colors, okay? I didn't get one. Daddy loves Joseph better than me. We're envious of Joseph. Now, it's almost like Joseph is testing them. And he sets before them their parts and he gives Benjamin five times as much. You reckon he was looking through the peephole saying, I wonder if they're punching each other. Say, Look at that. What do you got? I don't like that at all. Benjamin's always been like Joseph. I don't, you know, they, can't you just see them saying that kind of thing? But you know what they did instead? It says they drank and were merry with him. Didn't bother him by now. You know, when we start focusing upon our own problems, it tends to diminish the envy that we feel for others. The problems, if you start dealing with the sin in your own life, it'll help you to quit sinning in other aspects of your life. Okay, our time is up. <clears throat> Let me, let's leave it here today. Let's, let's talk about a couple of things. Why all the trickery? Well, like I said, I believe Joseph was led by God in this matter. I believe that God was in it and was showing Joseph that this isn't about you, Joseph. I have a purpose in your life. And secondly, God and Joseph desired to test them and bring them to true repentance or to see if they were at a point where reconciliation was truly possible. You know, you know, reconciliation is not always possible in this life. Now, it ought not be blocked by you, 
See, what Joseph did here is a pretty good example to our lives. When, when we have people in our lives that have caused us problems, the first thing we should do is not take the opportunity to take revenge when it's offered. Be to them as Joseph was to his brothers. But also understand that just because the opportunity is there doesn't mean reconciliation is going to come. Sometimes you've got to let God work it out and the opportunities that God presents Take those and don't try to force the issue yourself. See, that's what he was doing with his brothers. And only by true repentance on their part could there be true reconciliation on both their parts. And then lastly, this. Just a simple question. Joseph, how big are you? How big are you? Are you like them? Are you petty? Are you small? Or are you going to be like your God. And that brings us to how big, Joseph, is your God? How big is your God? Is your God big enough that you can trust your vengeance to Him? Right. <laughs> you know, I, I got some, I mean, I, I, got, I got an imagination. I can think of stuff. I can think of ways, several scenarios that I'd like to get back at some people that have done me wrong. And I can, boy, I can play it out of my head. I can really think about the opportunity that arises. Oh, I can't wait to zing them with this statement or, or destroy them with this other event or whatever. But you know what? The revenge I could plot is never as good as the vengeance God has. And you know the most beautiful vengeance of all I was thinking about this the other day, and I think I've mentioned it here. Do you know the greatest vengeance that could ever be perpetrated upon one of your enemies is that vengeance that will occur if they're a child of God in the resurrection. You know what that is? <laughs> when you look around as you're floating up through the skies and you see that person and he or she sees you, and all the hurts and the pains are forgotten, and all the problems are gone, and you wrap your arms around one another, and you tell each other how much you love each other, and you spend eternity praising the one that died for you. I, I, I don't know if we'll be able to do this, Brother Buddy. I Probably not. But I hope in the resurrection we're able to go to people. Because if we, if, if we can... I got a list of about four or five names of people that will not speak to me today or I've had problems with through my life that I want to go to them and I want to throw my arms around them and I want to hug their neck and I want to be in perfect harmony with them. I can't wait. That's the best vengeance of all. <laughs> you got to spend eternity with them. That's the best vengeance you could have, right? God, you see, is so much greater than us. And I kid when I use the term vengeance because there's not going to be any vengeance in the resurrection. There's just going to be love and harmony and peace. Well, you stay tuned as we continue to read about Joseph and his life. But just remember this. Joseph believed that his God was big enough to trust even in the moment when he had the opportunity to execute revenge. He said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do exactly what God says. I'm going to leave it in His hands and I'm going to seek peace. 
I'm going to seek to be a peacemaker. And I'm going to do whatever He leads me to do. Your God and my God is Joseph's God. The same God He had. And we can trust Him with that as well. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.